This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I am your host, Blake Howard, and joining me today, I've got a very special guest, someone who has actually written about Michael Mann, um, has taught about Michael Mann, is actually crafting a book about Michael Mann. It's Miss Anna Zenis. She is a lecturer from Latrobe University, and uh, she's teaching in screen studies, and she's an academic, and she's also the editor of um, uh, of a Visual Media and History Screening the Past Journal. Anna, thank you so much for joining me for an episode of One Heat Minute. It is a thrill. Thank you so much, Blake. What a great introduction. And um, thank you so much for devising, imagining, dreaming up this incredible project. <laughs> oh, look, um, uh, Anna and I have uh, already sort of had a bit of an introductory <laughs> chat, so I won't go into too much detail. Suffice to say that Anna is a man head as I am and as many of the listeners <laughs> are here. So um, you're in great company if you've read um, Australian film journal, like a pop- populist film journal, Senses uh, of Cinema, the great director's series is something that's always a great feature. Um, let's a writer talk really passionately about different filmmakers and Anna wrote the one on Michael Mann. So several years ago, I think I've talked in an earlier episode that I wrote a thesis on Mann. So when I was just really diving in and consuming everything that had been written, one of the first pieces I read was Anna's piece. And then we've now since unpacked all of the amazing, uh, connections and, uh, um, uh, sort of man geeky uh, stuff that we like together, including the fact that Anna has actually translated one of the great man writers, Jean-Baptiste Theray, from French into English for Australian audiences and English-speaking audiences. So this is a real, this is a man treat for me. But, so guys, now we're going to watch the 18th minute of Michael Mann's LA crime opus from 1995 Heat. We have got uh, Vincent Hanna and his crew, Schwartz, Bosco, uh, uh, Drucker, and Casals, all standing around, and he's just yes. had the debrief of everything that he's had in front of him. And now we're going to watch this minute, and we're going to unpack it with Anna Sennis. We'll be back in 60 seconds after you guys have listened to this minute. Entered, escaped in under three minutes. It's a good spot here. we got good escape routes. Two freeways within a quarter of a mile. Traffic video camera. Probably disabled. Check it anyway. You recognize the M.O.? M.O. is that they're good. Once it escalated into a murder 1B for all of them after they killed the first two guards, they didn't hesitate. Pop guard number three because what difference does it make? Why leave a living witness? Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. The shape charge. The shape charge indicates that they are technically proficient. Proficient enough to go in on the prowl, so let's start looking for recent Highline burglaries that have mystified us. Run slick as an alias to the FBI. You're gonna get the phone book, do it anyway. Who's moving the bearer bonds? Check the usual fences. You and I will check Cusimano and Torino. Um, fascinating, fascinating. A yeah. great, a great um, minute because uh, it's, it's got everything. It's got the, comp- like, great composition um 
it really great staging and it's finally that sort of minute because up until this point we've sort of seen how awesome and professional Neil McCauley and his crew are and now it's time to see really how good Vincent is to like sort of to see how formidable this guy's going to be against this amazing crew. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and, and exactly what you're talking about, fascinating formally on, on a number of levels because, um, you know, to begin with, and, and you're the, you're, you are the man <laughs> fan that I sort of um, have, have, you know, had the great pleasure of um, getting to meet. Um, uh, but you'll, to me, I have kind of um, memories of Manhunter, Will Graham. Yes. Um, I can see, you know, Al Pacino, you know, kind of, you know, sort of Vincent, um, you know, getting into the headspace of of this crew, um, you know, sort of reading, uh, reading what he can see and interpreting it and getting right into their heads like Will Graham does in Manhunter. Yes. Um, it's interesting that sort of formally I can see um, that you, you move from tight close-ups, telephoto close-ups um, to wider shots where he's kind of starting to incorporate the rest of the crew around him. So you get those interior, um, you know, sort of tight telephoto sort of images of him sort of, um, you know, interpreting and reading what's actually sort of going on. Um, uh, and, and there's a couple, just the, to jump off of on that yeah. point, Anna, I love what you yeah. said here, is because mm. there is that telephoto sort of establishing shot that you're with the crew and you're sort of part mm. of But I love that, like you said... The camera then cuts and pulls you into the interior. There's this great shot that's. Oh, I'm just going to try and find it in sort of um, uh, uh, as as we're looking at it as a reference point. It's at 17 minutes 24 seconds on the classic one wow. that we're looking at. Is well, you've got like- a, you've got a fantastic over the shoulder framing shot from Casals's perspective, and that's just a couple yeah. of seconds after. You, you've you've seen what the layout of his team looks like, and then you become part of his team. You, you're standing there, looking over Casal's shoulder, looking at Vincent, and sort of hearing him hold court here, which I think is a really it's really cool when you're looking at it at this granular level. The way that man is sort of establishing your relationship with Vincent at this moment. Absolutely, and and what's kind of interesting? I mean, another thing that sort of fascinates me about this this minute um, is how blue it is. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I know it's kind of blue night, but it's like mo- a lot of the lights have blue gels on them. And yes. for me, and, and I'm sure for you, that has oh, kind yeah. of like a, a visual connection to the sort of subjective blue washed um, scene where um, you know the the scene where um, you know sort of Robert De Niro goes home, and we get that whole um, Alex Coville Pacific sort oh. of um, replay. You're speaking so my language, like- Anna. You're speaking my <laughs> language. But so it's kind of like that, that's a really subjective interior sort of image. And this similarly sort of links to that because of the, the sort of intense blue. So if you look, their shirts are blue, you know, sort of the, the faces are blue. Um, and and there's, I like there's... what you said. It's like that point of restraint, right? So when you, if you're thinking back to – if you're casting your mind back to Manhunter and you're seeing Will Graham, he's – Will Will has no uh, – doesn't have the ability to control how far he goes into that perspective. So even you see in Will Graham in Manhunter, when he first goes into the victim's house, his perspective is the killer's perspective. The same shot going up the stairs, it's identical. So I love what you said, there's that echo here, because this is us getting into Vincent's head to a point. Um, So yeah, there's that point. But Mm. this is Mm. a much more like, uh, he seems more in touch with it as a, 
as his uh, sort of practice. This is this is my this is my little uh, uh, psychological practice that I do, almost like a meditation that you come into, and then we stop. You're not like Will, who kind of starts to blur the lines of sanity and insanity here. He he's very much in control. But yeah, I like the blues. It's just gorgeous. This whole this whole Absolutely. minute. So we're just going to keep playing here. But lots of great blues. There's the blues that are um, mm-hmm. in the. Uh, uh, in in the uh, the banners the, the absolutely around the place. yep absolutely there there's apparently kind of still green fluoro so you sort of yeah. get that murkiness which which you know sort of affects the way the bodies on the ground are imaged yes. so there is kind of some green and blue but the the predominance on the crew is actually sort of blue you know so so it is very much you know kind of like for us connecting us to these psych- psychological spaces yes you know? uh, and image spaces as well you know. Kind Kind of and linking those image spaces because what we're doing we're seeing too is kind of the and what we see in man is the paralleling the doubling of characters and certainly the kind of paralleling of the crews so sort of we're making those connections visually as well as kind of um you know in terms of the fact that they're chasing one's chasing the other and there's kind of like that cat and mouse chase going on as well and i love mm. you're talking about paralleling and i've just cottoned onto like another one because we were talking about manhunter and this is what i love about this podcast is that I keep seeing more things, which is 17 minutes, 11 seconds. There's an amazing... I love the way you're doing this. <laughs> there's an... Well, this, this is important, right? So if people want to freeze frame with us, <laughs> they can do it. But there's just these compositions, these... You've yeah. got two, basically, guys who would be identified as bad guys just from their casting, just from their headshots. You've got Wes Studi, who was the breakout leader of the Pawnee... Um, in dances with wolves, like the the the, the cate- you know the categorical scary bad guy, and then in Last of the Mohicans he's the bad guy, and then you've got Ted Levine Absolutely. over here, yeah, um, who who is <laughs> Buffalo Bill, you know Michael I Mann know. was a, a breath away from directing Silence of the Lands after his terrific Manhunter, and so you see these two guys and just the staging the these faces, I don't know, there's something like this reminds mm-hmm. me of Thief as well, where Mann had Chicago crooks playing cops and he had. Chicago um, cops playing crooks for for James Khan. So it's this kind of great like I'm gonna I'm gonna cast way against type here to sort of cast these interesting weathered you know these guys have seen some dark stuff faces um, to sort of make you project against them. And I just love this shot, especially yeah. Ted Levine's face can't help but look creepy. Like he's just got this amazing, especially the moustache, he's just got this amazing face that you're just drawn into. Wes Studi too, such a fantastic weathered, Mate, all the lines in his face, he's seen some stuff in his life. It's it's incredible. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And Man is kind of, and, and Heat is a great film for that, for, for moving between these in, in incredibly close, tight, you know, sort of um, close-ups and then these, like, amazing epic you know sort of vision so you kind of move in move from the kind of panoramic to the the tight sort of close-up and you're right you know sort of we know these kinds of actors have have all that have that lineage and and we we know them from those other roles um um and so it kind of adds to that whole thing of blurring the lines between you know sort of cop and criminal like you know sort of who's a good guy who's a bad guy yeah um, in in your gut in your gut you're like he's still magua to me for some people right he's still magua to me but that there's just that great scene um i i love also that you know his method um his method in a way 
you sort of got the his main lieutenant. So you've got Bosco, as we see with Kilmer's Shahilis as his kind of main lieutenant. But, you know, I think one thing that we're about to see in coming minutes and we've seen in previous minutes is that these guys all know their roles, even to Schwartz, who's played by Jerry Trimble, who's the probably least known of all of the amazing actors here. But everyone knows their role. There's no there's no confusion that who's in charge here. And 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 when Vincent's mm. saying an order, they're just totally receptive. There's no this is their motive. This is the modus operandi. This is what they do all the time. So that's one thing I love just about, um, I think Spielberg does it great. There's another, like Spielberg does it great in things like Munich, um, which I think echo these scenes of putting bodies in spaces in relation to one another in big, wide panoramic shots, but having them sort of, I don't know, there's some kind of weird symmetry or, or pattern that they're creating that is like, you know, there's like triangles of relationships that are happening. So this is also this weird, like, it feels like a weird geometry to me between how the characters are staged for certain reasons. I don't know. Like, I just, it feels so yeah, yeah, perfectly. Really, no, I agree with you totally. And it's kind of fascinating because I was looking at these. And, and as I said, I was kind of looking at the way he moves from telephoto to wide, you yes. know, from interior Vincent to kind of like the crew. Yeah. But it, uh, it also you see that, you know, sort of um, Al Pacino isn't very tall, um, mm. shortest guy here, um, and, and sort of every Everyone else is tall around him, but they fringe him. And you're right, the composition is one where they kind of keep on recentering him and he keeps taking the frame away. So he starts to walk away, but then they continue to have these wide shots where they fringe him. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like exactly what you're saying, all the crew tend to have the same gestures and looks, you know, sort of it's like they look down at a similar time. So so there is that sort of, um, you know, like sense that you're kind of describing, which is they all sort of know their place and they yeah. all kind of understand their sort of relationships, um, particularly kind of here. What's interesting in the next sequence, because you sort of flagged a couple of minutes and, yeah. and the next sequence is the meeting in, in the coffee shop. And what, what I noticed in the comparison between them is that crew um, – kind of fragments they sort of fall they, they they their places are kind of not around robert de niro kind of um they actually sort of all move move off or away from him yes um they understand that that's kind of you know because he's got a particular mission but it's interesting that they're they're tight around you know sort of vincent you know sort of here but with neil when they kind of move away they all sort of move away to their spots which aren't immediately sort of surrounding him and i yes. thought that was interesting Mm. That is a, that's a great dichotomy between both those scenes that are happening mm. is, is, and I think it's also, it plays to, you know, they've pretty much got the same number of people in their crew and it feels like when yeah. their crew's together, they're together, but it's like Wayne grows this sort of cancerous thing, this cell that's like <laughs> everyone's moving away from even Neil, like Neil doesn't want, he, he, when he's going in there, it's a collision and then he's away from him. It's a collision and then he's yeah. away from him. It's this strange, yeah. you know, um, uh, sort of atomic, you know, magnetism. Bang. These, Great description. These mm. things can't get mm. through. So mm. um, we, we happen to – what I think I like is, and I love how you, call it, you described it as fringing the camera. I love that, is I'm really glad that you know very clearly that Vincent isn't like a huge guy in this because I feel like <laughs> – I feel like there's a there's a tendency in you know really bad versions of 
you know, cop movies is that you'll get this scene and you'll have Pacino standing on a box. You know, he'll be standing on the a John box. Wayne kind of moment. Exactly, right. You know, like he's, he's going to stand there and he's going to look like as tall as McKelty Williamson and you're going to go, McKelty Williamson is like six foot three, Al Pacino is like five foot six. Come on, guys, like chill. Like he can wear lifts in his shoes, but that's about all we'll, we'll take. That's why I really like that. It's just a, these are real guys. They're all different, yeah. you know, variety yeah. of heights and there's not this – and the uh, the the physicality in this instance is not the first – thing which 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 it can be in a lot of Mm. cop films it's like the tough Mm. gruff yeah rough and tumble he does get a bit rough and tumble and tackles henry rollins um at a time when henry rollins is probably doing a thousand (laughs) bench presses a day which we can sort of maybe have to suspend our (laughs) disbelief later in the film um but i think this is yeah it's such a great um that makes me laugh (laughs) (laughs) well there we go so We've got it. We've, we're we're going to lead up, and I think one. All what, right, a couple of more things to say. One is exactly the stuff you're talking about. There's a couple of, um, you know, sort of general sort of ideas about man that, you know, sort of, you know, come back to me when sort of I, I hear you talking and kind of look at this particular scene. And one is, um, you know, the fact that he does, in in, in spite of his denials, you know, sort of, um, you know, he he's he's incredibly. His work is incredibly stylized, incredibly oh. stylish. Um, but he also is obsessed about the sort of documentary sp- like details, you know. Yes. So he he really wants kind of, as you say, to have you know sort of um, real policemen. Uh, I think in his commentary on on this particular sort of sequence, he talks about the fact that they're they're actual real, um, you know, sort of um, forensic. Uh, people who are kind of there on the ground doing their sort of work. So he likes to combine, um, you know, sort of those realistic sort of elements. And as you say, kind of the the faces, the fact that, you know, sort of we accept that, you know, sort of Al Pacino isn't like six foot three um, and they don't kind of uh, play with that. You sort of, you combine the sort of documentary realism with this incredible stylization, which for me is very sort of characteristic sort of of man. And another thing I'm kind of reminded of, you know, sort of related to these sort of polarities or these apparent extremes that don't always come together or aren't always brought together is a comment by Richard Coombs where he describes um, heat as um, being, you know, that man has these twin impulses to be the cartographer and the botanist. Um, and so oh, that is you. great. It's awesome, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a winner. Um, and we sort of see it in this scene. So you kind of get this mapping and this kind of close attention to detail, you know. So, again, it's those sorts of extremes that we're sort of seeing play, played out, and you exa- know, sort of ex- here. Exactly right. And I think it's even in, from second one um, of the, the, the earlier scenes is he's in a live emergency room with De Niro. You know, if we go yeah. back to a few, that's a live emergency room that De Niro yeah, cuts right. through. Mm. Um, and uh, I, in just the, the next few seconds to the next minute, spoilers for the minute ahead if, you, if you're watching and <laughs> listening to this uh, as, you, as you're unfolding. Um, but no, uh, in all seriousness, there's a, a crime scene investigator here. Her name is Rachel. And she's actually in a later scene in the movie where she gets some more dialogue. But Pacino's character here, he says, you know, get your hand out of that man's pocket, Rachel. And that's she's a legitimate L.A. crime scene investigator. And later on in the film, she's the crime scene investigator that he addresses when they find the, the body of the dead woman who 
um, we assume is from uh, Wayne Grow's sort of evil and fallout, you know, the one he's left in the dumpster and, and Pacino has to sort of um, uh, uh, interact with her mother. That that whole scene that fold, unfolds is her talking to him and she's a real crime scene investigator. So you're right, cartographer and botanist. There's that action, that geography and, and the detail. Mm. I love that. That's so cool. Mm. Um, mm. So you've got these... These guys, these sequences, this minute. But let's talk about man himself, Anna, because I think that's going to be fun because this is what I really... I got so super excited about talking to you uh, and, and talking about man and, and talking about this minute specifically, but also about your experience with man as well, is um, we talked about the wrestle, and I think it's important, the wrestle between man tinkering with his films and I think up until Heat the definitive edition um, we he hadn't tinkered and we we're very happy that he hadn't tinkered with Heat um, but it's something that he keeps going back to and you told me about one Black Hat had another cut very recently I sent you a link um, yeah. I don't know if you checked your email I did I, um, I read it I checked I yeah. checked it out which are so so my 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 kind of you know sort of um uh, I guess call out to you is like can we find this um, you know sort of <laughs> does anyone have is FX streaming because there was like you know an Instagram pic of some obviously another man fan who said like hang on a minute this wasn't you know how come FX is actually no one sort of knew this was happening and FX is actually screening yeah um, sort of the the recut version of Black Hat and from what I've read from what I sent to you um, it's quite a recut in terms of the the, the narrative, the story, the structure, you know, so... Overdubbing um, over new dialogue, yeah, expanding yeah. characters, yeah, so um, reframing some things, taking some things out that got the most criticism and sort of tweaking them necessarily. Really strange. The, a guy who, and fortunately, again, he hasn't really touched some of his real classics. He hasn't touched Thief. He hasn't yeah. he hasn't touched Thief. He's up until this Although point... Thief is- that's interesting because Thief was um, – I, I was kind of looking last night. Thief has been – there's a Criterion version of Thief. Yes. Um, and I haven't actually looked at the, that version. Um, and it is a 4K. Um, I don't know how much it's, it's, you know, kind of been changed, you know, sort of so um, – Maybe maybe in sort of um... – in texture, but I've got the Criterion Thief, and it's oh, not it's, it's okay. not it's not any different from okay. theatrical. So okay. I mean, there might have been some of that uh, with a 4K. You know, the luxury of sort of expanding a, um, a sound soundscape or improving something there when you're doing the transfer. But no, it's it's a, it's it's it, it's the theatrical version is all this beautiful Very glory. Similar. What do you think it is but about man and tinkering? What do you think it is? <laughs> Uh, I do think he he is the artist of his own work, you know, sort of yeah. like he is, he, he is uh, you know, sort of if there's any dispute or if there's any question about sort of authorship and of course, and he does collaborate with, obviously, uh, he selects great creative people. We discussed Dante Spinotti, oh, uh, you know, Emmanuel Luzbecki, yeah. um, you know, kind of he works with um, people who, um, you know, and he, he keeps working with them, you know, so so there is kind of those sorts of collaborations. But but he he's he's an artist. And you know he's um he's, he's, he 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 re-edits his work yes. um um and you know kind of I guess we'll be you know sort of revisiting this because kind of we feel that maybe that's going to continue to oh. happen. But the black hat is mysterious because it's like you you re-edit black hat, which you know there were questions about you know it had minimal sort of um, theatrical release, and we you know discussed this you know which is like you know it's got all the hallmarks of actually attracting kind of a wider audience, you know sort of a Hemsworth. Hey, Hemsworth. Hackers. Hackers, Hemsworth. Exactly. Yeah. 
exactly and it's kind of like you you recall it and then you recut it and you 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 kind of um give it to fx to screen without like letting people know i don't Just understand no? and 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 i went i went digging like black hat for Black Hat, the director's <laughs> cut last night, including sort of going to um, friends and, and 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 like my my yeah, my my, my, di- my my direct my direct messages were lighting up and uh, and you know even um, Garth Franklin, who runs Dark Horizons, who's been a guest on this podcast already, was like. Mister, if I could have found that bad boy, you would have already had the link in your inbox. Is like I'm looking for it for you, I'm, and I'm and I'm saying, look, I just need to know if it's out, like if it's ever out there. Is it on the streaming, like yeah. you said? But yeah, really odd. Um, you know, I, I think some films do definitely need a tinkering. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, and maybe there's a compromise level there. But like something like the Miami, this is something we've we again talked about. Something like Miami Vice, which is another fascinating and great man film, is. I actually don't think the director's cut does that film any justice whatsoever. I don't. Uh, you mean the opening? You, you mean oh, that's interesting because you mean the opening sequence, the yeah. the opening sort of the, uh, race, the race opening with the race sequence. Boat. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I mm. think maybe some of there's a great later scene um, that happens between uh, uh, Jamie Fox um, and his uh, partner Trudy, who's played by um, oh my god, she was an Academy Award nominee, Naomi. I can't remember her name. Uh, she played Money Penny, but. I'll, 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 I know people are screaming at me while I can't remember her name, but I'll Google her in just a second so that I have it. But there's a, there's a conversation scene that happens, which is quite good. But the one thing I loved about Miami Vice, for example, um, in, in contrast, is you're just diving in immediately into the story. You're just in there. You're in an established world straight away. You have to learn the lay of the land. It feels very lived in. Um, and I think that over-explanation at the beginning is kind of unnecessary. It's a little bit of a flurry Here's that doesn't need to be The interesting there. thing, I was thinking about that last night, and I was thinking about it in, in a different context because I was thinking, yes, like that is how man often, you know, sort of, um, you know, in you know, throws you into kind of a world, you know, that you, you're thrown in, uh, you know, at 7.15, you know, sort of when something's kind of already in in, in place, you know, sort of yeah. in happening. So so you don't get the setup and you don't get the context. And I was thinking, what you're doing here, Blake, is kind of a lot, you know, sort of like, you know, Michael Mann, because you're throwing me into <laughs> sort of, into kind of like, you know, sort of the, the beginning of sort of, um, you know, 18, minute 18 or minute 17, <laughs> you know, sort of. So, so I feel that there's a real kind of Michael Mann impulse that you're sort of, you know, oh. taken on board in the way that you're actually kind of doing this because you're throwing me into sort of a minute and like it's already started and things have already kind of been in place so so there is a comparison in my mind between you and Michael Mann's modus operandi Look, I, and by the end of this podcast people might think that I am a madman which I'm quite happy <laughs> I'm quite happy for that I think another um, point of commonality another similarity another kind of shared like uh, the obsession. The obsession. The fact that you're prepared to do this. You know, I think I can see, again, more sort of um, crossovers and parallels and similarities Look, with, I, I, you know, for some people the great that artist, might, Uncle Man. Some people might take that as a as a negative or feel bad, but I actually take that as an extreme compliment, which I think says something <laughs> says something even weirder about me. Um, it's actually Naomi Harris, how dare I forget her name, who played Trudy Joplin in Miami Vice, um, and she's absolutely terrific in Moonlight, in case you um, don't realise she was Chiron's mother. Um, um, she's an incredible performer, but there, there are, yeah, uh, this is the, the fun of this podcast for me is, um, uh, is just how much we've been talking now for around 30 minutes and, uh, Anna and I, I'm hoping we'll get to do this again, 
But what I love is how much we were able to just even talk focusing on the scene and and learning about man's craft and even just the craft of a scene um, uh, uh, to, to sort of display information and then use that as a jumping off point into this, you know, fantastic filmmaker and uh, these fantastic actors. I think uh, the more I look at every minute of this film, the more I keep using it, uh, probably a shorthand is just like, this is peak Val Kilmer. You know, this is peak Pacino for me. This is peak De Niro. This is when they're at the very peak of their powers um, as, as, as performers. And then, you know, sort of you watch a couple of films later or their career doesn't quite go down the same path. And you look at like Tom Sizemore who had a really, you know, sort of public <laughs> fall from grace. But in this film, in these upcoming yeah, no, scenes, right. he's, he's explosive. He, he's completely mm. engaging. And you think, man, mm. this guy, I wish that he could have been in 10 Michael Mann movies because if they, mm. if they seem to sync up that professional, that obsessive professional sort of crafting great performances, I think is excellent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And his kind of obsession with, you know, sort of working with actors and, you know, the sort of stories about, you know, sort of making Tom Cruise, you know, deliver, you know, sort of stuff, um, you know, like, you know, just kind of, um, you I know, love that how, story. How... I love that story. Let's expand on it. So I'll quickly tell it for the listeners just in case you don't yeah, know. So sorry. Tom Cruise in Collateral, you know, you think Tom Cruise is the at this point is the most famous actor in the world and probably still to this day is the biggest movie star the world has ever seen. It's 2004. He's you know, right off an Academy Award nomination um, a couple of years earlier with Magnolia. He's, this is huge. He, Michael Mann, in the preparation, as well as, you know, gun training, combat training, everything that he had for Vincent as, a, um, as a, a, an assassin, he would have him dress up as couriers and make his way anonymously into different um, businesses and film him subtly with sort of handy cams and watch him just get into places without people noticing him. And if he could do that, that then was a tick. That was a success. So Michael Mann is that crazy that he's got the yeah. biggest movie star in the world and he's trying to get him to sneak into places just to sort of inhabit that, that necessary thing. Um, and, you 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 only have to look later in heat as well to see the the obsessive thing and i've got a fun story on i haven't i don't know if i've told you this but i have i've an um, a friend who works in the well previously worked in the australian um, um army armed forces as a as a medic and i asked him what his favorite war movie was um, for realism purposes, I just sort of, you know, was picking his brain um, and he said oh it's not really a war film that's my favorite my favorite um, uh, 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 performance is Val Kilmer's performance in Heat because oh, wow. because he talked about how his proficiency with a tactical weapon and the way that their tactics were moving through the city streets to sort of um, take out a target, a small team. He's like, that felt to me like people that I've watched train, like people who are in the armed forces training because he can, you know, the way that he reloads the weapon and things like that. So... There is that level of... How incredible. That, mm. Yeah, that level of obsession. And then authenticity. You know, people who are actually mm. doing the job going, wow, that's pretty impressive. Mm. Wow, 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 we could, we Incredible. Could talk, mm. We could talk forever, and I'm not going to yes. make you. I'm not going to make you. But I will ask, um, Anna, would you love to come back at some point? We can find another moment to talk through. Um, would you like to come back at some point and talk another piece of One Heat Minute with us? Absolutely. You know, it's been a complete pleasure. Um, and you actually sort of talking to you has kind of helped me sort of um, see, you know, sort of deeper into into this film. So that's been fantastic. Oh, that is a, this is a treat for me. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of One Heat Minute. Um, 
it's it's been a pleasure we're having more great guests like Anna and Anna back again but thank you so much for listening we're at oneheatminute.com um, if you want to check us out but we'll be back next week for the 19th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Chrome Opus Heat thank you Anna again thank you thank you so much <laughs>